0: Welcome, everyone. This is Jeff Cohn with the Wall Street Resource. And typically, we have CEOs of public companies on. Uh, today is a little bit different. Uh, there's an old saying on Wall Street you know, when they serve tarts, uh, you, you take tarts. And uh, we had the chance to interview an icon in, in Microcap, uh, Chris Lahiji. Uh, Chris uh, has uh, probably the best conference on the West Coast. I've been to a, a lot of conferences through the years, and I can safely say that. So, uh, without further ado, here is Chris Laheji of LD Micro.
1: Thank you, Chris. Jeff, for welcome. Me, thank yes. you, Jeff, for having me. and I am. Uh, I'm looking forward to pushing the envelope with you. <laughs> okay. Um, so, first off,
0: tell us about. LD Micro, you know, right up to the point of uh, of COVID, because that may have changed things. So, let let's. How did the company look at, at that point?
1: Um, LD's sole mission is to provide a real platform for legitimate guys in our business. In this case, investors, analysts, bloggers, people who are passionate about. You know finding unique investments early, to see some of the best companies in terms of quality in the space. That was always the, the sole mission. And the company was essentially created because of my frustration attending other conferences as an investor. I felt that most of the events that I attended were energyless. There was no camaraderie. It was just a very prolonged, awkward silence. And given my background, given my ethnicity, given all the trials and tribulations that I've had to endure to to get to this position, I thought that if I was complaining about it often as I was, that maybe I should do something about it personally. So we did. And, you know, we had our first conference, and, of course, our timing was shitty uh, back on late April of 2008. It was at the Omni Los Angeles, uh, or as I consider, one and done at this point. (laughs) And um, it was literally just me calling people and sending them emails and hoping that they show up. What When when was that, Chris? I'm
0: sorry, I cut you off, but uh,
1: when did you start this? This was... The first event was April 28th of 2008. And how old were you and there, by the way? 24. Wow. And naive. And uh, if, I always tell people, you don't really have to host a large event to know how difficult it is to do one of these. Just host a birthday party for your kid with 10 to 12 people. Hmm. Um, but But what was interesting... Jeff, is that most people don't know, uh, is that the event was supposed to be one and done. I was only going to do one of them. And sure enough, uh, the Great Recession took place and uh, I, was, I was without a job. Uh, I had no prospects. I had left college earlier. Uh, my educational background is atrocious at best. Um, I didn't even graduate from the school of hard knocks because you actually have to go on the street and and hustle to do that. Um, And
0: uh,
1: I I had lost about 90% of my net worth in the crash. And to add, you know, to my misery, I had just recently gotten married. Um, And any man who who has basically tied the knot knows that it's no longer just about you. It's about her as well. So without any prospects, uh, without much money, and um, with little or no ambition, I didn't really have any other choice but to, to do a second event. And, of course, my timing for that was also really bad. That was December of '09. The other thing I want to share is that uh, between April of '08 and December of '09. I had made the decision on to where the second conference should be hosted. And uh, it was cuz there's a rumor out there that it wasn't supposed to be the Lux and there are 100% that rumor is 100% true. It was supposed to be the Four Seasons Westlake Village. And there are a core group of guys that I have relied on from a very early age, uh, you know, in my early early 20s that I I would ask for a consensus or an opinion. And they said, look, Chris, you know, Westlake Village is kind of far from LA, but we'd go if, if it meant having a, a, bi- a bigger conference with more companies. And we go there, I go there, and everything is great until I meet this one associate that they had, which just for whatever reason, Jeff, rubbed me the wrong way. I just didn't feel comfortable with this person. And I didn't think much about it. I said, "Okay, no problem. I'll I'll sign on the dotted line as soon as I get back from my honeymoon." And my honeymoon, uh, and mind you, we decided on where to go honeymoon back in '07 when I had all my money. And of course, it was non-refundable because you know it wasn't a really good decision to go on a really expensive honeymoon in '09. Uh, but because they wouldn't give our money back we decided to do our honeymoon at the Four Seasons Bora Bora. And for anyone who is listening, Bora Bora is by far one of the most beautiful places in the world. Um, Bora Bora is essentially French Polynesia. And, um, I was, I was really fortunate to at least have the money at the time to, to have a, a week of fun with my wife. And, um, uh, let's just say that the trip got off to a really bad start. There, The first night that we were there, there was a fish dish, and we were with another newlywed couple out of Los Angeles. But by the looks uh, of his shirt and his watch, I think he was uh, far more well-to-do than I was. And, uh, you know, I was trusting his gut and insight, and sure enough, he said, you only live once, and everyone started eating this fish dish. And I ate a couple bites, and something didn't seem right, and I told my wife not not to consume it anymore. Essentially, everyone who was at that dinner table who ate the fish was in their tiki hut for the next four or five days. They got food poisoning. And my wife and I got a little bit of it, uh, but it it was only – it was only transient <clears throat> and we felt really bad because a lot of people that we met on the first night were no longer around because they were ba- you know, uh, kind of near their toilets. So we're outside, we have no itinerary. And sure enough, I noticed that on the other side, I would, I would think probably about two, 3000 feet away. No, not two, three thousand, but about a thousand feet away. Uh, it's like a horseshoe and i noticed that this woman is is on her you know is is paddling on this board and she's standing upright and sure enough there is this huge you know current that comes in and she is screaming she is mortified and she has no control over this thing and her her board is coming right towards our our tiki hut and uh of course i'm in the corner uh you know cuz Uh, let's just say that we have a good relationship with the four seasons. We we spend a lot of money with them every year. And, of course, the first person that this woman is going to hit is is, is us. So as she's getting closer, I, I tell her, hey, don't worry, I got you, I got you. Just try to come here. And sure enough, I, you know, she comes right in, and I tell my wife to grab her board while I grab her. Of course, I grab her by her boobs, And she was extremely well endowed. And I don't think that went very well with my wife. I mean, 12 or 13 days into marriage. But I swear to you, I could not grab any, you know, it was fast. The current's coming quickly. So, of course, I grab her by, you know, uh, the place that I didn't want. And and she comes on. And we basically all trip because it came so quickly. And we find out that this woman uh, is from Los Angeles. Her husband... And they were newlyweds too, and uh, and they were both they were also Iranian like we were. And I was like, man, this is a match made. So of course, we became very close with them. I contacted her husband to come on board. She told, tells him the story, and you know he he he's a good sport about it. He laughs it off. <laughs> I said, you're a very lucky man. He laughs it off, and uh, and then we have dinner that night. And then that dinner, we turns out that we know a lot of the same people. Uh, we spend a, a, a one-day trip in an island called Vaitape, which is beautiful. We had a great tour guide. And, look, it's, it's one of those things where we basically went from watching French CNN, because that was the only channel that, was, <laughs> that they had on satellite at the time, watching French CNN to, to meeting another couple who was kind of going through the same dynamic. And we're at this restaurant, it's, it's very famous in Valletape, it, uh, it was started by a French colonialist about 100 years prior. And we finally find out the details of their wedding. And, and they're talking and, you know, uh, we, we, I asked them where did they have, because they didn't have a very good experience. I said, where did you have your wedding? And they said, the Four Seasons Westlake Village. And I, and then basically everything froze. I looked back at all my plans, all my questions, all the details, deciding where the tracks go, where the one-on-ones are, you know, where the booths go, all that stuff, to realizing that I may not do my event here anymore. And of course, as I peel the onion, I find out that they had problems with the same person that we did. The, the story goes, the story goes, is that they couldn't get one price for all their alcohol. <clears throat> they charged, they charged, the the alcohol drink by drink instead of person by person, which is a very selfish move, I may add. If any any uh, people in hospitality are present, um, they had 800 people at their wedding, 800. So the drink that they they realized that they could make an you know they could make an arm and a leg by charging per drink instead of per person and they weren't flexible and it was that that woman that I was telling you that person that that they had a problem with. So what happens next changes the course of at least conferences in the micro cap small cap space forever. She says you should consider the Lux Sunset Bel Air. This woman who. Just, you know, 24 hours prior, I was grabbing her by an inappropriate area. She's like, you should do it at the Lux Sunset. And I, I know, and I'm friends with the sales team. And, of course, in, um, in June of 2009, I meet uh, Judith Feldman and the general manager at the time, Seth, who is an extraordinary human being, and Trisha Shapiro, uh, who was the head of sales at the time, and I'd like to say that the rest has been history.
0: Yeah, it so, turned out to be very you know, fortuitous. That's a a great venue for you, and uh, much better located for most. You know, whether they're flying in or driving.
1: Jeff, a lot of people ask why the hell we do it at the Lux. It's either too small or not luxurious enough, which I you know, which I want to disagree, both publicly and privately. I think they have all sorts of amenities. Um, even to the to the you know to the top echelon, and the reason that we do it at the Lux is, remember that that small group of guys that I spoke with. The Lux is really the only venue that is equidistant between our three central areas that we deal with: Beverly Hills, Los Angeles, or in this case, Santa Monica, California, and and Century City. So, yeah. so you look at that dynamic, and if you look at my early Rolodex, most of those guys were either in Century City, in Santa Monica, okay, or within, within I, I want to say, a 10-mile radius. Um, the parking was really, really easy, and as anybody knows who's ever been to the Lux, it is literally on the 405 freeway. So you can get out very quickly to LAX if you need or go yeah. home. Or take the ropes. Yeah. Um, it, so, a, Chris, it, it, I'm going to
0: cut you. Yeah. I'm going to cut you off there because yes, I, I totally agree that um, it, it ended up being a, a great venue, and I'm sure that helped some. But I think you had a lot to do it, with it as well. And since you opened up, uh, you know, the, the personal, uh, I'd like to go back just a little bit. Is what in the heck? You know, you're 24 years old, and and you, and you knew our business well enough to see this opportunity. What work were you doing, to, you know, in your in your short career, prior uh, to starting this?
1: I was an analyst for a hedge fund, and my entire job was to analyze companies under a hundred million. And uh, I, because I was young and ambitious. Um, and they had a background of me because I started I started writing on company profiles on names that I invested in personally, as to why why I put my own money behind certain stories. This hedge fund manager saw 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 this and was quite impressed with the level of detail, or the fact that you know you have a 20, 21, 22 year old kid that's not fearful of a speaking his opinion and b going directly to the source. And my lack of fear, uh, I think is directly correlated to my passion for for just trying to find something before it explodes before it becomes big. And I've, I've had the great fortune of, of having this happen a few times in my career. But at least for this hedge fund, it was all about trying to find stuff that is really, really under the radar. So Think about this, think about a guy who, who is passionate, who can now travel, who now has, you know, um, the ability of, of going directly to companies, uh, going to their facilities, talking to their middle management, talking to the people that are on the ground floor, uh, you know, going to conferences, seeing them, seeing that dynamic, um, it was, to me, it was a dream come true. <clears throat> For those who are very close with me, they know that I've left a couple of very lucrative opportunities on the table. And obviously, if I can go back, I would. But when you find something that you're passionate in, Jeff, it doesn't feel like work at all. Okay. So so my, my, my gut was, this is what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. Um, almost 20 years in, I'm having, I don't want to say I'm having second thoughts, but I've, I'm exhausted, you know. Just the, just what has transpired in the last six years for us. So a hundred year rainfall, a hundred year fire, and now a hundred year pandemic. Yeah. Uh, the dynamics that have changed post COVID, where there are things that people are doing that I just cannot compete with, because nothing now you, will ever beat the price of free.
0: Well, you you built it up to a to a, a pretty nice place. You're putting on about how many events a year?
1: Pre-COVID, we were doing four. Post-COVID, we are doing two. Um, the upcoming 500 in the first week of September, and uh, it wouldn't be it, it wouldn't be a, a year in microcap if you didn't have the main event in December. Um, a lot of people ask me on a weekly basis whether uh, whether it's going to be physical. December is. Um, I think common sense is probably uh, my number one form of guidance. Um, but I, my logic is if CES has canceled their conference in January, then there's a high probability that the main event in December will be virtual as well.
0: Right. Right. Now, now, do you have other parts of the business or, or it's just conferences?
1: The website brings in a little bit of money, uh, not as much as I'd like, but, uh, but uh, we do have an we do have an online platform that people can can participate in. Um, but but the events are an overwhelming bulk of our revenue. Um, they have been significantly and negatively impacted with the current pandemic. Um, but I'm also really touched by um, the level of support that we've had. Um, I always like to say that about 99% of our business is word of mouth. Uh, that number is down a little bit year over year because, you know, people are, a lot of people are, are more difficult to reach, um, but but the general take is that um, I, I feel that until I know, the way I know that physical is back is when I can go to the people that I know that are mostly immunocompromised and ask them, will you feel comfortable shaking a person's hand, or will you feel comfortable coming to a conference? Another thing that people don't know is that there is an overwhelming amount of, uh, of love and compassion to make sure that this event does not go the way of the dodo bird. So, for example, we had a company that said, hey, Chris, we'll spray every single room every single day to ensure that if there's anything out there that's dangerous, it will be killed. There's a company that's offered us free thermal imaging. There's a company that's offered us free COVID testing, immediate COVID testing. And and Jeff, again, it's um, I'm I'm very nostalgic and um, very sentimental when it comes to this stuff of of helping someone when when someone is truly in need. But it does not condone the fact that, you know, I I think that people are going to be on edge if somebody else coughs. Yeah. I don't think it's yeah. the same. I, and then while I, I've, I've been advocating masks since the very beginning, I even changed my LinkedIn profile, I think, back in, back in March or April because I knew that masks were successful in Taiwan. Uh, I knew that masks were successful in South Korea and Singapore and Vietnam and, and in Germany. So, so for me, it was a public health thing first and foremost, and it still is but I just don't feel a conference is the same when you can't see somebody's face. I don't think it's the same when you can't see me laugh or where I can't touch you uh, or where I can't, I can't get close without being worried. Uh, I don't like everything that is going on, but I can see why it's done. And it is necessary for us to beat this damn thing to oblivion. Um, So, So look, if it when it comes to safety, I already have kind of a PhD on this. When it comes to being, uh, you know, to showcasing a good time, uh, I don't feel it's possible giving the variables that are are, that are at play right now. Yeah.
0: So before we go on, you know, how it's going to change going forward, I I know I'm going all over the place here, but I still want to go back to starting this thing because, you know, you, you go to the conference now and somebody can say, oh, you know, I could do that. The real problem in starting it is kind of like an eBay or chicken and the egg situation where buyers don't want to come unless they're sellers and sellers don't want to come unless they're buyers. So how did you get enough of each side to go to that, that first conference?
1: Uh, <laughs> the, the power of persuasion is great. I think that it was the hardest thing was just getting 50 companies to show up. That took nine months. We'll do 50. We did 50 companies this week in terms of signups for the 500 just this week. Mm -hmm. So I, I think the key element was in most of these companies, I was a shareholder already. So I had a relationship with the executives as opposed to a cold call or an email or a contact or a referral or, they knew me. Uh, anyone who has spent any amount of time with me privately, because oh, quite some people think that this is an act that I don't behave like this, or I am not genuinely kind to everyone. They think I, you know, they think that uh, um, I'm, I'm double-faced, which is which is an insult to me. So anyone who's ever spent any amount of time, you know, including you, knows that I am genuinely interested in people's best interest. And I felt that I could do a good job given given the people that I had. I mean, one of my idols in life is Jamie Foxx. And Jamie Foxx, it is known, both in LA, the state, and beyond, that he is one of the greatest hosts of all time. And Puff Daddy, in this case, a lot of the, the, the you know, Puff Daddy, let's just say that it's Puff Daddy is the institutional analogy. We'll spend millions of dollars on a conference, okay? And most people, you know, uh, we'll probably not that, have that great a time. But what Jamie Foxx did is he would spend a couple hundred dollars uh, for chicken at KFC, and he would bring the most unique people he knew. And that didn't mean all rich, and that did not mean all famous. But people that he has encountered in his life that are that are real characters, that are genuine, that are fun to be with. And that's the dynamic that, that the main event, L B has always had. There is a policy that we have internally, which is AAA, And I cannot tell you the first word because it's inappropriate, but it's a bad first word that starts with an A, and then the other two words are aren't allowed. So what, if, if today was my last day, what I take most pride in is that this is the only event but just because you have money does not mean that you have access to. In most other situations, if you have money, you have access. Not here. Yeah. You have to speaking earn your stripes.
0: Of, speaking of money, how much money did it take to get this off the ground initially? And, and where did that come from?
1: $1,000, Jeff. Wow. So All 1000 huh? I, I will give, let me tell you, there is one guy that deserves, you know, supreme kudos and that guy is Shai Stern, formerly at Vintage Filings. Shai comes to me in '06, And look, anyone who's ever met Shai knows that he is, he has energy and ambition and character unlike anything you've ever seen. And in many cases, Shai taught me a lot uh, about just being an entrepreneur. So for him, I owe him a debt of gratitude. But what Shai told me sometime in '06 and this was winter Santa Monica, this is at the Wedbush Conference, he's like, you know what? I had a vision. And I I asked him if it was, you know, chemically based, and he didn't answer that. He told me to be quiet. He said, I have a vision. I had a vision that you're going to host a conference, and it's going to be a great conference. It's going to be the best ever, Trump style. And, of course, he goes back to, goes back to his conversation, but that always struck me for whatever reason. So of course, and he said, if you ever decide to host a conference, I want to be your first sponsor. So vintage was our first main event sponsor and it was our largest. And what happened is that he came up big. He gave me $10,000, which was essentially the cost of the first event. Wow. So with just one transaction, I was able to, to get to break even. And Shai, it was beyond, above and beyond. But what he did is he also introduced me to other people, including my second sponsor, which at the time was Richardson and Patel. And I meet with Eric Richardson and Peter Hogan on top of a beautiful restaurant that was on top of a building and it was only open to members. I mean, imagine something from the 30s, 40s, and 50s. It's no longer around. Because supposedly most of the clientele just died uh, of old age, and they gave me five grand. So within a week period, and then they introduced me to the OTC and Joe Altman, who I still remain very close with. And the OTC is our longest sponsor ever. They have sponsored every single main event. For that, I am deeply indebted to them. But just based off one person, I was able to sign four or five sponsors. So that was enough ammo to do everything else, and then when you know that you're kind of set in cash, you can you can be more flexible. You can take more risks. Yeah. But you know what, Jeff? I, I've i kept everybody. I have... No, Now, now uh, what's
0: everybody? How many people make up uh, LD?
1: Day-to-day operations are eight people right now, day-to-day. Okay. And about 60 to 70 part-time. Uh, we have a. We, what we're doing is we're integrating as many people part time into the virtual conferences as possible. Um, everyone is still with me day to day. I love each and every one of them. They all serve a very important role. Um, you know the financial burden rests on me, um, and I think that when when you talk to executives, when you talk to investors, and they find out how bad the situation is, everyone steps up, my brother. Everyone, there has, been, there has not been one person who says that, Chris, I won't help you. And that's what makes me feel really good. I mean, the numbers aren't there anymore. Um, you know, it, it's frustrating, but um, I'm doing everything in my power to, to keep positive and And in this case, showcase the world's largest online investor conference ever put together. And so uh, do you
0: plan on you know, just replicating the, the conferences that you've been doing and but doing them virtually and doing about the same amount or or what's this gonna you know, look like post COVID?
1: So post COVID, like say somebody told me that this is it. This is the this is how it's going to be forever. I would uh proceed to go to Taco Bell and order fifty or sixty bean burritos. Um and then you know, smoke some, uh, some some nat Sherman's and have a margarita on the rocks. And I would decide what I would do. And and look, it's a, it's a very simple mindset. I had two small conferences that are the, the love of my life because I I only have to invite thirty or thirty five of, of of my favorite people. Um, and then you have the June event, and then you have the December event. So, what I'm in a, in a post-COVID world, you would have two small venues, two small events that you would do online, which we're doing called Zooming with LD. We just finished our our first one. It was it, it exceeded all my internal expectations. And then we will do a virtual we'll do will do we'll do a virtual event in June, and we'll do we'll do a virtual event in December. And it doesn't change, you know, at least at least in terms of overall schedule. but but I don't think I listen I, I, if for anyone who is feeling down and depressed or sick or tired or is not making the same amount of money that they were making but is working ten times as hard, we will beat this thing. We will go back. You know, I know a lot of executives are like, it's great. I never have to leave the office. Uh, we are all human in the end. Uh, touch and feel and smiling and and adoration these are all things that are that are part of our you know DNA so even for a
0: shy uh, introverted person like yourself
1: well no look I mean there are there are some people at the conference that do not say a word they do not open their mouths once and I talk to them privately and you have to see what type of response that they have. There is an adoration. There is an, there's an ebullience. There's this, just, this, just this feeling of warmth and hospitality. You don't have to say anything, okay? It's, it's, it's one of these things where I, I, I know what this event means to the people that come. And I will do everything in my power to kind of resonate that energy and, and love and sympathy and inappropriate joke every now and then on the computer screen so that people can feel some of it until we can get back to physical conferences. That will be my job. And that will be my mission. You have yeah. to be a showman and you have to make people feel welcomed. And I feel that because it's, it's embedded in my, uh, in my blood, it's easy for me to do it. I don't have to think twice about it.
0: Yeah. No, no, you've, you've done a great job. And, and I can tell you, I, I talked to a lot of CEOs and investors and heard nothing good. I've not heard one person say a bad word about you, by the way. And, and oh, let you me can't t- say that about others who put on big conferences and I won't mention any names. But
1: uh, No, 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 no. There's, there's been plenty of bad stuff about us that people say. But here's the difference. So... So t- why did the four seasons become the standard that every hotel tries to replicate or follow? The pantheon like of achievement is because there are things that always go wrong. There are things that always go wrong. It yeah, is how you well, react like a
0: fire or a, uh, oh, no, yeah,
1: today plenty. today we got bombed today we got bombed on Zoom. There was a hacker that came in and found a way of of doing some very inappropriate things and saying some very inappropriate stuff on the chat room. And you know what I said? I kept my calm. I was with the CEO of the company. And I said, look, there are hecklers in every platform. I find it reprehensible. But we're going to show him that we're going to show this person that we are not fazed by it. So it took a minute, took a minute and a half to kind of regroup. But guess what? We went on and we had a great presentation. I cannot, anytime that anyone has ever said something negative, I have done everything in my power to, replicate, to to fix it. There was one company that had such a bad time at the event that I spent the entire day with them, going investor to investor. I got them breakfast, lunch, dinner, dessert, but they were very sincere about it, and they told me why it sucked, and I agreed with them. And instead of hiring anybody or 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 having another associate do it, I did it myself. That's the difference. Why do you think people like Fauci so much? Because when there was Ebola, Fauci literally got dressed up in his hazmat suit, put on the red gloves, and went to this thing firsthand. He went to the source. I'm the same guy. I'm the only guy out of the contingency of giants that if there's a napkin on the ground, I will pick it up. That's the difference. I don't
0: get... Yeah, go ahead, please. Well, no, speaking of going to the source, so, so you've become friends with numerous CEOs. Has that helped your personal investing or has it been information overload?
1: No. It's actually worse when I'm friends with somebody. It's worse. I cannot... Look, some of my closest friends are investments that I've lost money on. And some of, some of the best investments I ever made I rarely spoke to the CEO and I still rarely speak to the CEO so it's hard for me to distinguish between private and public, but there are very very few CEOs that that have seen that dynamic with me very few so i've known and'm not to say that I'm not close with these executives I am, and i will do I will give the shirt off my back to help them every single time because they've believed in us and they've believed in the platform over the years. But in terms of building relationships that extend beyond business and investing in their companies, it's been bad. There is one tech company that I have invested in for over a decade, it has performed very poorly. But if you see me with the executives, I will arm wrestle, laugh, hug, scream, shout, have dinner, drinks, because I love them as people. And and in a very weird way, I feel that my investment in the company is beyond my own uh, my own money. It's me betting on them. Gotcha. So that's why I don't get upset over these things, but I, I don't recommend it to people. You, you know how they say don't mix business with pleasure? There's a point yeah. to that statement.
0: So if I asked you to, uh, well, it's almost like choosing uh, which child you like the best, but if I asked you, you know, what, what are some of the most interesting technologies that you've seen come out of uh, the microcap conference. What would you say? I
1: I just think this artificial intelligence, my man, is what I mean. When you have Nobel Prize-winning guys essentially saying AI will do to technology what uh, electricity did to to the world. When you have statements like that, when you have computational power and the ability of thinking on its own. Uh, that dynamic is not only horrifying, it's also beyond captivating. So artificial intelligence is not a fad. And I don't know what they will call it 20 years from now, 50 years from now, 100 years from now. But if there is if there is not machine learning going on in your organization um, within the next 5, 10 years, you must be doing something very unique or something that really has no correlation to technology. Um, You know, it was just four or five years ago that we started using technology at LD as opposed to just calling people and emailing them and texting them, which was the system for the first five, six years. It has changed the dynamics incredibly. In the first event, we did all the one-on-ones by hand. In the last December conference, we did more one-on-ones in a 30-minute time period than we did for the entire day by hand for the first event. You know, uh, I think at the Apex, we did like 126 or 127 one-on-one meetings at the same time, which is insane when you think about just that size and scope. We couldn't have done it without Wall Street webcasting. We couldn't have done it with their software. It's impossible. Even if you are a savant. So, so my, my take is there's been uh, alternative energy was another big one. And there was a lot of companies that came over the years that, that, uh, that didn't, how can I put this eloquently, that uh, that didn't have very good initial showings. Now you look at them, and they're some of the most successful companies in the world today. Look at Ballard Tower, BDLP, uh, BLDP. You know, the response, uh, you, know, the, the, you know, the couple times they came to the conference was muted. Look at Exact Sciences, same thing. It wasn't, it wasn't a company that people were were, were were prying over just to meet with. But look what they have done. Ballard has changed the world for the better. Exact Sciences has changed the world for the better. And they both got early starts at LB. So that, to me, is what keeps me going. Uh, I think the regulatory dynamic is going to change drastically in the next five to seven years because of this Robin Hood phenomenon. And I think that's going to bode well for the industry. But but I don't know, Jeff. I mean, I, I, I can only go on making sure people have a good time and making sure people see things that they can't at other conferences.
0: Yeah, and as you just mentioned, the, the, there's been a lot of big winners that have that have come through it uh, as well. Now, Monsters, um, but there's
1: also been a lot of losers too. You have to factor. Oh, that of
0: course, well. that's part of the, the minefield I mean, of micro cap investing.
1: Listen, had, I could I go can on and on, on talking
0: with you, but um, I need to wrap it up. But I I know you've got a lot of friends out there that are CEOs, and a lot of friends out there that are micro cap investors. What do you want to leave them with that maybe I failed to, to ask you about?
1: Be proactive. Win, lose, or draw. Write letters to shareholders. Okay. Buy back stock if you can. If you think the stock is undervalued, buy some. Um, I think that's the most important thing. There's a lot of companies right now that are struggling hard. No one's going to blame them. I mean, they may sell the stock. They may keep it. They may. I don't know. No one can decide what your investment parameters are or or when to hold or when to buy or when to sell. But when there's a little bit of humility, when there's a little bit of insight, it goes a very, very long way. Because of what's happened on a regulatory basis, everyone assumes that, you know, if things are bad, to not say anything. I don't think it's I don't think it's a bad idea to tell people what you see with your own eyes and what you're doing to ultimately combat it. No one ever came to me and said, I can't believe you picked the days that you did where there was four inches of rain. Nobody ever came and told me, I can't believe that, you know, because of your stupidity, this fire took place. Okay, maybe one person did. Nobody basically came to me and said, it's your responsibility why we're in a hundred year pandemic. But you know what? I don't think anyone ever did any of that because I was proactive in all three. You could tell anyone who has ever done business with us that we are completely different from everyone else because it goes back to empathy. I want to have the best product imaginable because I feel that that my constituents deserves it. If you're flying from Australia to Los Angeles, you better believe I'm going to give you a good time. When, when 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 somebody in your family has just died, but you are here or your house has been torched and you are here, it is my duty to make sure you feel good and warmed and loved. Even people who get kicked out of the conference, we take care of their lunch. We take care of their valet. That, well, done, that's, that, that's the standard for us.
0: Well, you've done a, a great job, and, and thank you for sharing all that today. My pleasure, Jeff.